Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Thank you for joining me again this week. I'm probably going to take next week off, meaning that I'm probably not going to record a show for next week. Um, there's a couple reasons for that. The, for, for one thing, I've been working pretty hard on the, uh, the Last Symptom book. You know, I've been talking about it for years, and um, I'm glad that I haven't released anything before now because my ability to explain certain things has only improved with the passing of time. Things that I used to put lots of emphasis on, I've learned to not put quite as much emphasis on those, on some of those things. And then there are other things that I, I wasn't putting enough emphasis on. And uh, I've learned to put more emphasis on those things. I've learned how to explain things a little bit better. So that's what I'm, I'm working on right now. I'm working on the last symptom book. And uh, I want it to be done right. It's very hard for me to concentrate on writing the book when I need to develop an outline for this show every single week. You know, as, as soon as you folks see a show on Thursdays or Fridays, you know, whenever it comes out. I'm already thinking about what, what are we going to talk about next week, and I'm already making notes and stuff like that, and that goes on through the weekend, a lot of times, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday even, and uh, it takes up a lot of uh, my time and attention. Not only that, this show, I mean, takes up a lot of my time and attention. It's not just me sitting down and talking to you spur of the moment, <laughs> you know, on a on a Wednesday night or Thursday. Uh, a lot of thought goes into it. Furthermore, there are other things that I'm doing consistently throughout each week. For example, the orange slices. I have to prepare those every day and publish those to uh, the locals group, and I publish those to YouTube and to uh, Rumble. You know, that also is not just grab a snippet and throw it up I, I have to uh, I have to prepare those then there's the uh, my interactions with my group the locals group which I just mentioned uh, if you're interested in join us joining us over there that's uh, at the last symptom dot locals l-o-c-a-l-s dot com you can also download the locals dot com app right from the uh, app store and search for The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett. You can join us that way. You're welcome to join us. We'd love to have you over there. But, you know, my interactions with the group, that's something that uh, I've obligated myself to do every day, everyday check-ins, uh, providing a steady stream of content there. 
my everything kind of revolves though around this show uh, it is the meat and taters of what I do so I think if I just give myself a break next week and I don't do do a show for next week well then that will loosen up my schedule for the entire week and I'll be able to concentrate completely on uh, the book another thing is that I think personally that the last five or the, the past five or six shows that uh, I have recorded are among the most important that I have done in the roughly four years that I've been doing this and I've noticed that the number of viewers is not quiet the number of viewers or the number of listeners is not quiet where it usually is and that's a real shame because like I say the last five or six shows I, I believe are among the most important of my uh, the, uh, the my entire time doing this so um, taking a week off would be good to allow people to catch up a little bit to where we're currently at let's do the announcements just real brief here thelastsymptom.com that's my website there are two specific sections of the site that I would like to encourage you to go visit that's the free resources section know everybody enjoys those two words and then there's the paid resources section I'd like you to look over both of them over everything I offer there lots of free stuff and some paid stuff and the paid stuff just kind of knocks it up a notch and supports what I do here um, a couple of things that I offer for example in the free resources section is the uh, the private group that I host and although there there is a paid tier uh, in the online community there's also a free tier which allows you to pretty much uh, partake of all of the content that I put on there you just can't then comment and make your own posts and stuff like that but if you are interested in doing that well then you can subscribe monetarily and then it gives you the ability to do that there's a pre-recorded a two-week pre-recorded fundamentals course that I offer for all those interested in authentically and permanently recovering from emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder let's talk for a bit about intelligence versus emotional health and this kind of complements the discussion we had last week what is more important intelligence versus emotional health what do you think well let's ask it like this which one of those two things intelligence or emotions more powerfully determines people's conclusions decisions and behaviors in general now notice that I'm not asking which one should determine our conclusions decisions behaviors so forth rather what I'm asking is which one does more greatly determine people's conclusions decisions and behaviors in the real world when you just look out at the world which one do you see moving the world in one direction or another is it intelligence or is it emotion observing the world 
in both big ways and in small ways. There are real-life examples to study and analyze on this topic literally every single day. You pick up the news, and not just the stories in the news reflect this, but the the quote-unquote journalists themselves are reflective of this. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Journalistic integrity. That used to be a thing. Theoretically. (laughs) I don't know if it ever was. I just know it's not a thing today. For the most part. And what explains it? What explains it? Is what explains it a lack of intelligence? Is it that journalists... Got to put that in quotes because I don't believe there is such a thing. today I shouldn't say that I'm sure I should not say that I'm positive that there are honest uh, genuine sincere people out there who love and respect journalism what it the force that it can be and the ethics that should shape one's approach to it so they are out there but they ain't working for any of the major news organizations, I'll tell you that. And if they are, they're not being allowed to apply those principles and those ethics. They're probably biding their time so that they can get somewhere and where they're not so uh, hampered by today's modern culture in that area where they can, you know, where they can, they can get to a place where then they can do things the, in, in a way that they value. But in general, in the great majority of cases, you're not seeing quote-unquote journalists adhering to any type of true principle. Uh, basically, it's whatever they're feeling say. <laughs> whatever my, however I feel, that's the, uh, the angle that I'm going to take with this story, right? And if they get something wrong, they say, no, no, I didn't get it wrong. Didn't get it wrong. That's just your interpretation of it. There, there is no genuineness or sincerity in their reporting. They, they're, they have a mission, even in their wording and in headlines. Uh, there is a mission. Yeah, I don't want to get off too much here because a lot of this is unscripted. But look at the um, Supreme Court now. I've told you folks a lot about my my buddy Jeff real close friend of mine I've known him for the majority of my life and I've told you that he and I frankly don't see eye to eye on anything not on well let's put it this way not on anything involving anything serious so I mean we we like our backpack and we like playing cards together we like movies but when we start talking about serious things that involve life and the world and politics and um policies and governments and stuff like that his opinion is one thing and my opinion is the other now I've told you in the past that uh, I I use that as practice Uh, it's good for me that he and I can have a conversation and disagree on things and uh, how it used to be that I get so angry and I just turn into a a nuclear bomb you know if we disagreed long enough it just gets so frustrating for me and and how much of that has changed for me now that i don't have borderline personality disorder anymore i'm able to 
recognize, first of all, that an opinion is is not a statement of truth or of reality or anything. It's just it, it, it's it involves discussions where um, I prefer things this way and you prefer things that way, and in those circumstances, there is no right or wrong, is there? When you're talking about matters of opinion, there is no right or wrong. It's just which one do you prefer? And his preferences are always the way he prefers to see a thing, interpret it, and um, you know his idea of policy and everything like that all the time. Complete opposite of mine. And so it's good practice for me to uh, be able to have those conversations <clears throat> and to apply many of the uh, the thinking and the principles and the laws that I have come to embrace uh, that are definitive of emotional health. For example, if I see that a conversation is just going to go around and around and then I see the pointlessness of that, then then I will change the subject long before I get frustrated or angry. I, I don't have to get frustrated or angry to know which direction that's going in. So I all I have to see is the direction it's going to go. And then that's enough for me to say, well, why would I, why would I do that? Why would I do that to myself? Just make myself frustrated and angry when I see that this is just is a merry-go-round. So I'm going to get off this merry-go-round here, right here, before I ever feel frustrated or anything. And I'll change the subject very uh, smoothly. And then we'll go on to talk about different things. One of the things that, uh, one, uh, one conversation I had with him one time was about the Supreme Court. And he is just sold on the idea that the Supreme Court justices of the United States are so principled that they interpret law as it is. So the letter of the law, that's all they're interested in. Now, do you believe that? Do you agree with my friend Jeff? If you do, I'd like to ask you this. Why does it matter which political party nominates each just justice then to the Supreme Court. It, if it didn't matter, if it were just letter of the law, what does the Constitution say or doesn't say, or what does the Constitution truly mean or what doesn't it truly mean, then why does it matter if a Republican nominates one of them to the Supreme Court, or if it's a Democrat that nominates a justice to the Supreme Court. Why does it matter at all? And why does it matter when you've watched the, the decisions coming out of the Supreme Court here in the past decade or whatever, why are the decisions that the Supreme Court settles on why are they always split almost perfectly according to the ideology, the political party that that president was uh, a member of who nominated them there? Have you noticed that? If, if it don't matter, if these people, they're so elevated and so high above us and so beholden to an elevated form of intelligence than we are, why are these things all true? Well, 
It has a lot to do with the conversation we're having this week, ain't it? Doesn't it? Which one matters the most? Intelligence or feelings? Not what should matter the most, but what does when you look out into the world, just out into real life. What explains the fact uh, that five judges always are on one side of an issue and three are always on the other side of an issue, no matter what the argument is? It changes. There, sometimes there's one who goes over to the other side, but but you never get eight all on one side, do you? Or uh, how many Supreme Court judges are there? I'm not sure. I think there's eight. Alexa, how many Supreme Court judges are there? There are nine current Supreme Court justices. Did that answer your question? Yes. All right, so there are... Thanks for your feedback. Anytime. So there are nine, nine Supreme Court justices. So typically you'll get five and four, six and three, but never do you get nine who all agree about anything that has an ideology behind it. Split ideologies behind it, I should say. I disagree with Jeff, and I, I'm suspecting that there are lots of you out there who disagree with my buddy Jeff, too. He's a school teacher, by the way. <laughs> so that's just one example that we have real-life example that we can look at in the news every day to see people more beholden to their feelings than to intellect. In the past, I've talked about how the cars most people own, and surely the car you own, unless you're like me growing up. What happened when I was growing up is that I'd buy the car I could afford. (laughs) You grow up poor and in the country, and you're a young person you're not you don't have any credit to take out a loan or anything like that you're uh, you're looking around and you find a car that's five hundred dollars you got five hundred dollars that's the car you buy so there are exceptions to this example I'm about to give you two but it, it mostly uh, among most adults who are going out and shopping for a car you've got a loan for a certain amount and you're going to a car lot and you can choose exactly the car you want. So cars are a nice real life world example of how emotion plays a more powerful role than intelligence. For example, what if you could have gotten the same car you're driving now and paid three thousand or four thousand dollars less than what you did pay for it but here's the kicker you would have had to have accepted a paint job in your least favorite color would you done it so the same car you're driving right now whatever color that is but now let's say that it was painted in your least favorite color and yet and yes same car same everything you could have got it for three thousand dollars less 
Now, I'm throwing out that number, $3,000. But does it matter? When we're talking about intellect and logic, not intellect, intellect and logic, if the car were $20 less, if you could save $20, and we're just talking about intellect here, intellectually, logically, you could get the same car for $20 less, but it would be in your least favorite color. It's painted in your least favorite color. Would you do it? Well, the reason why I didn't pick $20 was because it's not extreme enough to, for, for the point to be made. So let's say $3,000. Would you do it now? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting if you think about it? That the car, if we're, if we're just talking about intellect, pure intellect and logic, and we're talking about a car that runs exactly the same, intellectually and logically, if there's no emotion attached to it at all, if the car is costs $20 less, but it's in the collar that you hate, and you're, but you're only going by intellect, you would buy the car, even if uh, you're only saving $20, if intellect is all we are talking about. But you wouldn't, would you? You'd say, it's easily worth me paying $20 more to get the same car in the collar I do like, but there's some things to consider here. Does the color of the car affect its performance? Does, it, does that affect the way the car drives, its ability to get you from point A to point B, the way that the radio works, the air conditioning, and all that stuff? No. In most cases, the color is completely irrelevant, ain't it? But, fellas, what if you're shopping for a brand new pickup truck and you come across the pickup truck that you just love? It's in just the right color that you like. Has all the features you just love. But the dealer tells you that he has, an, he has another one just like it and that he'll sell you this other one for $5,000 less. The only difference, the only difference is that this other pickup truck is painted hot pink and it's got images of Justin Bieber's face painted all around the body. So this beautiful, big old lifted pickup truck, hot pink, pictures of Justin Bieber's face painted into the paint job all around would you buy the Justin Bieber truck for the $5,000 savings I wouldn't I wouldn't do it why wouldn't I if the truck drives exactly the same comes in exactly the same condition has all of the exact same features is my unwillingness to save $5,000 an intellectual decision or is it an emotional decision? Interesting, ain't it? Interesting thought experiment. <clears throat> so 
So, you know the answer. It's entirely emotional. I emotionally can't bear the thought of driving around with Justin Bieber's face all over my truck in hot pink, even though the truck, what matters, the things that truly matter intellectually are all there. I, don't, I wouldn't even pay, I don't think I would buy that truck. If I saved $10,000 or $20,000, I don't think I'd buy that truck, would you? That is how powerful my emotions are in that situation. As logical as I like to believe I am, as smart as I like to believe I am, that's a really dumb deal to pass up just because you don't like the color of the thing. Now, the reason why I didn't say would you, would you do it for $20,000 less or $10,000 less is because I knew that some of you would say, yeah, I'll do that because then I'll just take it somewhere and get it repainted and still save money. So I had to come up with a, a scenario that would exclude that as an option to make my point. But you, you get the point, right? And again, I go back to the fact that even if you could save $10, uh, the only reason that you would not do that would be for emotional reasons, not for intellectual reasons. Ten dollars is ten dollars. You're, you're still saving the ten dollars. The truck or the car drives exactly the same, and all that. Now, in some ways, the color of a car does affect its function. But even this can be used to illustrate the point that we're making here today. It can be used to reveal how logic goes right out the window when confronted with feelings. For example, back home when I was growing up, the last thing anybody needed to be driving on our road was a white car. Why? Because we lived on an old country dirt road. For years, it was, it was literally dirt and mud. The county come through, start putting gravel down, and they did that for so many years that now it, it's a compacted gravel. But still what happens on those type of roads is that in the, in the uh, summertime, when the heat and the humidity is just super hot, uh, cars driving up and down that, that old country road kick up lots of dust. In fact, if you look at the trees, just all the trees, all the wild, all the forest, alongside the road down those old country roads they in the summertime are just plastered in dust and uh, that's a real problem growing up because uh, most of our cars didn't have no air conditioners and so we'd you know you'd be dying you'd be dying to have the windows down but you could not put the windows down mother wouldn't let us put down the windows because you know we're flying down those roads 60 miles an hour we're kicking up dust. It looks like, uh, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like a SpaceX shuttle takeoff, like a rocket takeoff. You know, those plumes of smoke behind the, the SpaceX rockets. Uh, that's what it looked like behind our car driving down those old country roads. All that dust come right in to uh, our car. So imagine you're all dressed up in your dress clothes and everything coming home from church and going down those old country roads and you just get plastered in uh, road dust so 
when we'd come off the pavement and get on those back country roads on our way home, the windows would have to come up, and we had no air conditioners in the car. And, uh, man, just be sweltering. We'd be sitting there marinating in our own body sweat to get home. And, oh, man, be taking the ties off and suit jackets and getting out of the car. So, no reason whatsoever to be taking be buying a white car white vehicles in that environment don't stay white for even a single day I'm not kidding no point in washing your car unless you want to go down the road after rain but then you got to drive two mile an hour I ain't kidding because you don't want to kick up any mud (laughs) you don't want to get your brand new washed car uh, all muddy you wash your car and then it's covered in filth before the day's even done but people owned white cars who lived on our road why because they like the color white their feelings like the color white so they make a decision based on what they like on their feelings and uh, logic and reason be, be darned how about all you folks living out there in the deserts or tropics of Arizona, Florida, Ecuador, and so forth? I'm laughing because I know of a person, a friend of mine, who watches the show I've been in contact with over the years, um, who lives in Arizona. She drives a, a black uh, Toyota Tacoma. That pickup truck is a sweet-looking pickup truck. I will tell you that. And by the way, if I could trade in the old bacon, though, my, my Jeep Wrangler today and get a different vehicle, uh, that's what I'd get. I'd get a black Toyota Tacoma. So no judgment here. You, you know who I'm talking to, but I'm just using you for an example. How about you folks living out there in the desert or the tropics who chose your vehicles in the color black because you thought it looked the best was that a decision based on intelligence this up here or was that a decision based on emotion see I told you folks that there there are uh, situations where the color of your vehicle does matter it does affect performance maybe not the you know the way it drives or anything like that but you know certainly that is a consideration when you're trying to decide you know i'm in this the zone this this heat zone where it gets 120 degrees do i really need to be driving a black vehicle a white vehicle would make much more sense in that in that scenario wouldn't it if i don't live on a country uh, dirt road but we don't choose in most cases our vehicles or the collar of our vehicles on logic do we because if you could save twenty dollars or five thousand dollars on your least favorite collar and have the exact same vehicle you wouldn't do it you'd say five thousand dollars you know I'm already spending thirty five thousand or forty well listen that was before pandemic prices we're probably talking about I don't know what cars cost right now. I hear that they're just out the roof. 
with inflation and everything. So you're probably talking about, I'm going to make a guess, 60000 for a car that used to be $35,000. Let's see. Am I willing to pay 55000 instead of 60000 for a car that is a polka dot, green and uh, yellow, instead of getting it in maroon like I love so much or that really nice color blue that I love so much? You wouldn't do it, would you? Why is it important to make these sorts of observations about the world it's important to stop and ask yourself if you live with the belief like my friend Jeff does that people like scientists doctors judges intellectuals academics are not also just as vulnerable to their emotions as anybody else. Well, I know they are because I've observed it firsthand. Remember, I worked as a professional Spanish interpreter, rubbed shoulders with the best uh, surgeons, some of the best surgeons in the world, some of the best doctors in the world. One doctor I worked with is like the premier um, amputation and robotic arm uh, or robotic limb specialist in the entire world. Uh, Another one, one of the best spinal surgeons in the entire world. Uh, I considered these folks friends as far as professional colleagues go. Uh, I had a fondness for them. They had a fondness for me. But they're just people. Very skilled and very intelligent, clearly, in what they do. It's a mistake, though, to look at people and to begin defining them as their job titles. What they do. Think about uh, sports figures and movie stars that this happens to all the time, right? What happens when we think of a sports hero or we think of a movie star in these terms well it dehumanizes them and it turns them into godlike figures that's the problem because what does a god what is a god not a slave to that we mere mortals are our feelings right and what are we talking about here that feelings in the real world are much more powerful over people than intellect. Do you think that that is not true for Supreme Court judges, for star athletes, for movie stars? Do you think that it is their intellect primarily causing them, most of them, to endorse certain ideas or to back certain ideas or to assert certain things. What about doctors and scientists? Let me ask you this. This is going to be... um, I'm going to need to tread carefully when we talk about this because I don't want to insult anybody and I certainly don't want to um, turn anybody off from uh, listening to me. 
but it's a question that's fair to ask. Is the belief that there is no God and that science explains everything, is that a belief that is based purely on intellect? Well, to believe so, you'd have to you would have to be working with the understanding that these scientists are not people. Uh, they don't, they're not prone to their feelings like we are, their preferences and their biases. Now, before too many of you flee, let me tell you that um, I believe that that same principle applies to religious folks, people who believe in God. I think many people, many people have simply adopted the religions of their uh, families and their, their childhood have given no critical thought to it, but they like they like the, the comfort of what uh, those beliefs provide them. So in the same category, you know, in the same category, in the same manner, I could ask the same question about people who are not atheists, uh, folks who do believe in God. How did you reach that conclusion for real? For real, how did you reach that conclusion? So this is not like a one-sided thing you know it, you know there's this uh, branch of science can't remember what it's called but basically every invention that we have is copied from nature and an interesting question for me has always been if science if we need scientists to study nature in order to design the things that we enjoy now like helicopters and you know, those sorts of things if they got there from studying, well, let's say that what that already exists in nature. If if those things, if scientists have had to study those things and then design inventions that work on those same principles, and and these inventions require a designer, doesn't it beg the question who designed the the original? I say if one thing needs a designer, the other thing does too. So that's the conclusion that I've reached. Now it's up to me, isn't it? Ain't it up to me to be honest with myself and say, am I just coming to that conclusion? Am I only reaching that conclusion because of what I want to believe is true? Or is there evidence to support what I, what I want to believe? And then really taking the time to try to disconnect myself from my preferences and just look at the evidence. Are scientists, because of the scientific method, sometimes somehow immune? No, it's still their obligation to do exactly the same thing. Now, there are two different questions here. There's the question of what the obligation is, and are you willing to do it? <laughs> right? What does that require? It requires genuineness and sincerity. In my personal life, I really do try to set aside my feelings and analyze a thing honestly and genuinely. I want to, I think I've told you in the past, I want to see the truth no matter what. I want to see it whether it tickles my funny bone or it don't. And um, when I talk to people, the type of conversations that I really value with other people are people who I perceive are doing the same thing. Whether they reach the same conclusions or not is uh, irrelevant to whether or not I respect them and how they reach their conclusions.
Let me tell you about being an interpreter, a professional interpreter. Here is the, uh, the code of ethics that governs professional interpreters. Now this don't matter if you're a school interpreter, uh, a political interpreter, a medical interpreter, which is what I was, or a legal interpreter. It doesn't matter what category of interpreter you are. The code of ethics applies to all interpreters. The fundamental principle at the root of the code of ethics for professional interpreters is this. Imagine the bridge of the Enterprise uh, on Star Trek, right? Captain Kirk, Spock, the Enterprise. Do you remember that when they would, um, like the Klingons would be calling them, so they said, bring up the Klingons on the, the big screen. I don't remember what they called it. And I, I'm not a big Trekkie. I love the movies and I love the lore and everything, but I'm not, I'm not a big nerd about it. But you remember the old show. So they would, the screen would come on and there would be the Klingon. He'd start talking to Kirk. And then, uh, but, but was Kirk hearing, no, he wasn't hearing that. He was hearing perfectly understandable English coming out of the display, wasn't he? Why was that? Well, the Klingons speak Klingon. So it's not that uh, Kirk is a linguist. They had a computer on the bridge of the Enterprise. And that computer would take what the Klingons were saying and translate that or interpret that into perfect English so that Kirk and the other members on the bridge could understand what was being said. And when Kirk would talk back to the Klingons, his English would get trans, uh, interpreted perfectly into Klingon. So the same thing was happening on the other side. By the way, before I forget it, do you know what the difference is for between an interpreter and a translator? Well, a translator always works with the word, written word always works with the written word. So if you have a Bible in your home and you can read it and understand it, you can thank a translator for that. Remember that. Translators always work with the written word. Uh, the Bible was originally written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And so our English Bibles today, or our Spanish Bibles, or whatever language you're reading the, the Bible in, has had to be translated from uh, those languages. And usually this is done with a very skilled team of translators. Those are translators. So when you hear somebody talking about uh, an interpreter as a translator, we interpreters, we uh, bristle at that. Uh, most people th use, throw the word translator around just willy-nilly, like it applies to everything, and it don't. Translation is taking written word and putting it into another language in written form. Interpreters uh, strictly are, are working with the spoken word. So that's why you never have somebody, for example, a, a court translator standing there speaking what another person is speaking. That's that's an incorrect use of, of that terminology. And this is kind of a pet peeve for all translators and interpreters because anybody who's been in the profession knows the difference. 
and it really it's kind of an ongoing irritation for all of us like on tv and in movies you'll see them oh the translator's here oh god that just it bugs us that they can't even get that right uh, but that's the difference the interpreters always work with the spoken word translators always work with the written word so anyway back to kirk star trek we're on the enterprise uh, kirk's talking to the klingons they understand him perfectly they talk back he understands them perfectly so the machine that is doing all this work the the computer that is doing all this work let me ask you a question do you think that the Klingons if the Klingons say for example Kirk you are a stupid fat ignorant man and we're gonna blow your ship up does the machine the computer have the capacity to go oof that's uh, those are fighting words well I better not say that because I don't want to upset Kirk so uh, <clears throat> he says the trans the uh, interpreter says Kirk uh, the Klingons say that uh, they're not very happy with you and they uh, they're going to get violent if if you don't cave to their c commands so then Kirk says well we'll see about that and he says I'll tell you what Mr. Klingon there's only one thing uglier in this universe than your mother and it's your grandmother and then the Klingon computer says oof those are fighting words uh, boy I can't say that that would get me into trouble um, I better soften that a little bit uh, Mr. Klingon Captain Kirk says that uh, he met your mother once she's a wonderful woman but that this these sorts of threats will not stand you, you see what I'm getting at the computer is indifferent it's completely indifferent it doesn't care it, it has no sense of whether uh, what Kirk is saying is socially acceptable or not and it has no care in the world about whether what the Klingons say are going to upset somebody or hurt feelings or anything like that it's only function is to take what comes in and spit the exact equivalent out right that is the fundamental principle encompassing the code of ethics for interpreters now how hard is that to do how hard is that to do you think well I've told you the story before about being in a situation where the, the doctor told the patient you've got something like three weeks to live and the, the patient was distraught what 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 do I do and the doctor turned around to me and said hey just coldly completely coldly said it is what it is just like it's not my problem it just is what it is me imagining myself as Kirk's as the computer on the on the bridge of the enterprise and knowing that that is the principle that I have to apply as an interpreter do you know what I said I said hey it just is what it is to the patient now do you think I enjoyed that no I didn't but I viewed myself exactly like that non-feeling computer that has no say in in the thing 
I, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm taking one person's message and I am presenting it faithfully. How many other interpreters do you think adhere to the, those code of ethics? I have worked shoulder to shoulder with, with the best interpreters in Philadelphia, in New England, in Columbus, Ohio even. I've worked with hundreds of interpreters. I've seen them work. Um, I've gone through courses with them. I've been their colleagues. And I will tell you this. You're going to think I'm lying. I am the only person, the only person out of hundreds of interpreters that I have worked with that I know of who has adhered, who demonstrated a true interest in adhering to the code of ethics of professional interpreters. It's true. It's gotten me fired from jobs. There was one uh, hospital in Philadelphia. I can't mention it because they'll sue me. They've threatened to in the past. They're right in Center City, Philadelphia. Great big teaching hospital. I was in there one day interpreting for a patient. There was an Indian resident doctor who was doing rounds that morning. Went in to speak to the patient. She's talking amongst her uh, students or her other doctors at the foot of the bed of this patient and I'm interpreting every single thing just like that machine on the bridge of the Enterprise would do, right? It wouldn't say, well, I better leave this out. Well, I better include this. Better leave this out. Nope. If you're in that range, then everything gets interpreted. Every huh, every what, every hmm, everything. And that is how I worked. Do you think that my bosses appreciated that about me? No, they didn't. They did not appreciate that about me. Most of them. Most of them were looking for reasons to get rid of me because it was problematic. It was problematic that I held so fast to the code of ethics for professional interpreters. Uh, so in this situation that morning in this hospital in Center City, Philadelphia that I'm not allowed to mention because they'll sue me, this doctor told me, uh, she got upset with me, this Indian doctor. She says, what are you doing? I said, doctor, I, I'm the interpreter. My sole purpose for being here is to interpret everything that is said around this patient. Well, I don't want you to do that. I said, then I'd recommend you go outside in the hallway to have this conversation. Well, she's too arrogant and proud to do that, so she's not going to do that. So she starts talking again, and I start interpreting again. And she got angry at me, and she started cursing at me and telling me what, what, a, what she thought of me. And I interpreted that for the patient, too. Thing is, she's, she's talking about the patient like the patient's not there. And my job as a professional interpreter is to put every patient, every non, or, well, let's say every Spanish-speaking patient on the same ground as if you, you yourself were lying in that bed, could understand everything that was being said, right? That, that is my job. That is the fundamental reason for my job existing. And so the doctor is standing there talking about the patient and doesn't want the patient to know 
what they're saying. Do, do you see why it, it's, it's even unconscionable for me to stand there and not interpret? It's no small thing. I had to interpret what she was saying. And, oh, she got upset about that. So I went downstairs. I reported the whole situation. We had this uh, system set up, which is total horse pooey because um, it doesn't work. It's Again, it, it's all politics. But I went down. I reported her, reported the situation in great detail, and they fired me. They fired me for doing my job. I have never in my almost 20 years as a professional interpreter seen anybody who adhered to the... Uh, the code of ethics other interpreters who adhered to the code of ethics like uh, I did and valued them like I did why why not was it because they weren't very smart was it because they weren't intelligent was it because they didn't understand the code of ethics no it was because when it come down to it their feelings won their feelings won they could not bear to just stand by and be uh, an emotionally detached observer and a performer or a perform a, a non-emotional emotionally detached function in the scheme of the situation they could not they couldn't do it they couldn't do it we're talking about hundreds of interpreters that I've worked with I watched them left and right of me violate the fundamental code of ethics of that is supposed to guide all interpreters uh, for the most ridiculous things. Uh, for example, when you're when you're an interpreter, you're supposed to create the conditions that your interpretation, your work as an interpreter, is so effective and so good that a person feels empowered to act on their own behalf just like just like if you spoke English and you're in an English-speaking hospital right if I go into the hospital and I'm sitting there and I don't know how to fill out a form for example what what would I do if I'm sitting there they have asked me to fill out this form and I'm sitting there I, I don't know what to put there is anybody gonna swoop in for me an English speaker and go hey let me fill that that document out for you and then take that document and then start filling it out for me? Is anybody going to do that for me? No. But if you're a Spanish speaker and you have an inter interpreter assigned to you, do you know what the interpreter will in almost all the time do? Unless you're me. I, I mean, I'm sure that there are other principled interpreters out there. But do you know what 99% of interpreters will do? They will take the clipboard from you. They'll start filling it out for you. Now, does that follow the code of ethics of interpretation? It absolutely does not. It absolutely does not. In fact, it shows a complete lack of skill. You, you, you don't have the skill as an interpreter to create the conditions simply from your interpreting skill to empower the patient to feel empowered to get up and go ask somebody a question. Hey, what do I put in here? You know, one of the hospital staff I'm talking about. You don't have that skill, so and, and you feel bad, right? You feel bad that they're stuck on a question, so you can't help yourself. 
all your intelligence and your reason goes right out the window. You can't stand to be uncomfortable in that situation. You're going to completely betray the code of ethics. Take the clipboard and start filling out the questionnaire for the patients. I watched this over and over again over 20 years. One of the last jobs I had as an interpreter before I started this work uh, with the last symptom was uh, with a school district in Columbus, Ohio, in Dublin, Ohio. And I was working for a Ritchie, kind of a ritzy school district up there. When they interviewed me for that job, that was back in uh, 2015. When they interviewed me for that job, they asked me, what are, the, what are the code of ethics? And I'm sitting at the end of a table. There's all these people from the school district on this really long table. They're all watching me. They want me to talk in Spanish for a little bit, so I talk in Spanish for a little bit. They're all impressed with that. And they ask me about the code of ethics. I start telling them about the code of ethics, about how my job is not to speak for anybody. I don't speak for anybody. What I do is I take what you say, and I faithfully interpret it, meaning for meaning, into the target language. That's that's my only job. And they they ask me questions like, well, what would you do if somebody said, hey, could you uh, can you do can you fill this out for me, or can you do this other thing for me? I'd say, well, I wouldn't do it because it's not that that's not my purpose. It, fundamentally, it goes against my purpose for being there at all. My purpose is to give you the ability to communicate and to express yourself completely, faithfully, meaning for meaning, everything you've got to say. And that's it. Oh, they loved that. They loved that when I gave that answer. I, I thought they were going to stand up and applaud. Well, guess what? I, I got the job. You know what they wanted me to do two weeks later? They wanted me to teach the students algebra. No, they didn't want me to interpret for the teachers. The teachers teaching algebra. They wanted me to sit down and do the, the students' homework for them. To actually sit down and explain with my own words how to do algebra. Well, the joke's on them because I don't, I suck at math. But the principle of the thing is what I'm talking about here. The principle of the thing is that I'm not the teacher. I should not be acting in the role of a teacher. Why did they love it one second when I'm in the interview and I gave the correct answer? I'll tell you why they loved it. They loved it because they, they knew I got the idea of the thing, but they assumed that when once I got the job, just like every single interpreter out there, and you folks who are interpreters, I hope I'm, I'm, hope I'm putting a heavy guilt trip on you because you folks are pathetic. You folks who are acting as interpreters, you, you well, let's put it this way, you folks who are filling the role of interpreters, but acting like anything but interpreters, and crossing every code of ethic line, every ethical line that you can think of, because you think nobody's watching and you think it don't matter, you're wrong. You're no better than these journalists, these fake journalists, who take on the role and title of journalists very proudly, and then do anything but adhere to anything resembling journalistic principle. Here's the thing. Why am I even talking about all this? I'm talking about all this to emphasize the fact that intelligence is so secondary to the world. It does not move the world. A person who's intellectually 
very brilliant intellectually, meaning his or her mental functions operate at a superior level to many other people, but, but who is also emotionally unhealthy, what will they do? I'll tell you what they'll do. They will very easily betray intellect. In other words, it don't matter how intelligent you are. It don't matter. If you're emotionally unhealthy, what this inherently means is that no matter how intelligent you are, your feelings control you and they determine realities for you. The, the most brilliant scientist in the world, the most brilliant intellectual in the world will twist evidence to support whatever his or her feelings want to believe. If you're emotionally unhealthy and you love the idea of alien life, for example, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are and it doesn't matter how many um, diplomas you have up on your wall. You will twist any and all evidence to support the idea of aliens. Don't believe me? Well, here's an article from uh, the New York Post dated April 22nd, 2022. Thought I was reading a science fiction novel here. Astrophysicist believes alien tech may have crashed into Pacific Island. I'll show for the, those of you who are watching this. Let's see if I can show you this. On uh, those of you watching on YouTube or uh, what's the other? rumble. So uh, New York Post, April 22, 2022. Astrophysicist. Is it easy to be an astro astrophysicist? Well, I mean, it depends. If you got the money and the time, anybody can be an astrophysicist, can't they? Yeah. You think it you think it's just intelligence, right? You think you just gotta be really, really smart. No, you just gotta like physics and you just gotta have the time and money. A US Space Command memo released last week confirmed that the object was an interstellar meteor. But Professor Loeb disagrees. Who's Professor Loeb? Well, he's the astrophysicist. He's a professor. He's an astrophysicist. Boy, that's impressive, ain't it? A top scientist is plotting a mission to find what he believes is alien technology lying at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. What'd the picture say? Said they've already confirmed that it's an interstellar meteor. Just a meteor. But... This astrophysicist, who's also a professor, ain't having none of that. No way. No, sir. He is already plotting a mission to find what he believes is alien technology lying at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. What's his uh, evidence that this is alien technology? His feelings. He claimed on Wednesday that the object could have could have been built by extraterrestrials. You know what else it could be? It could be a, a miniature planet that spun out of its uh, orbit and just flew into our ocean. Another thing it could be, it could be Will Smith. Will Smith in a, a jet fighter plane. He could have streaked out of the heavens and flown into the ocean. It also could be a giant space octopus. It could be any of these things. The only thing 
separating Professor Loeb's certainty about what he thinks it is and all these other possibilities is just whatever you want to believe. Whatever your, whatever your feelings want to believe the most. That's it. Do you think it's different? For, we spoke about the uh, Supreme Court justices. Think it's different for them? What about uh, scientists who have told you how life began? You think it's different for them? How about all the uh, people out there on in the media? All those fake journalists and all those people on TV. You think that intelligence is guiding them as they instruct you on what you should believe? Or is it feelings? 99% of the time, it is feelings. It determines everything. You do a scientific study. At the end of it, whatever the results are, the results just are what they are. But a person has to interpret the results. A person has to look at the results and say, well, that's what this means. Do you understand that? And do you understand that scientists never 100% agree on what those results mean? But I will tell you this, that in any field, there is a similarity. Like, whatever drew people to that field in the first place, there is a similarity in that. Whatever their preconceptions and their biases are, there is a leaning, a heavy leaning in one direction or another. So you say to yourself, well, the scientific method prohibits people's feelings from having an influence in the interpretation of a thing. No, it don't. First of all, yes, if the scientific method were adhered to, but what have we just established? Nobody adheres to anything. Why? Because they're people and they cannot resist their feelings. Why? Because most of the world is unhealthy and insincere. So what are you going to be? What does this encourage you to do or not do? Well, if you're like me, it encourages me to be definitely more sincere. I don't want to be some dumb slave to my feelings. I want to see the truth no matter what. Don't you? That's why I'm telling all these stories. Not to discourage you about, you know, the world or anything like that. I'm trying to encourage you to be the exception. Be the exception. Our feelings are very important in life, but they cannot determine realities for us. They serve a purpose that is beautiful and wonderful in life. But that purpose does not involve determining realities or blinding us to um, intellectual observations or to adhering to principle and things of that nature. So I'm not trying to discourage you, but remember this, all this conversation we've had is when you look out at the world and you listen to experts and professionals and sources of information, never forget they are people let me ask you, is a person a scientist first or is he a person first? Because from what I see, most people look at a scientist and go, but he's a scientist. He's not a person. He's, he's something more. He's a scientist. But that's not the truth, is it? What's the first truth? The first truth is that he's a person.
He's a person. Those laws and principles apply. You know, whatever determines how people are, the things we're prone to, the, the limits that we have, that is the most important. He's a person first. And he's also a scientist, or he's an interpreter, or he's one of these other things. And guess what? Everything he interprets, everything he sciences, everything he uh, interprets into law, it's all happening from a person. Never forget they're people, and that people overwhelmingly draw conclusions based on preferences. What are preferences? They're just our feelings. And do you remember that feelings will betray intellect every single chance it gets? And in an emotionally unhealthy person, this is a lot. Happens a lot. I'll never forget. Now, I don't know how you feel about Anthony Fauci. And this is not any kind of... I'm, I, I'm not attacked. You might think he was a hero during the pandemic. That's fine. Your opinion is not wrong. My opinions are not wrong. Nor is your opinion perfectly right. Nor is my opinions perfectly right. But I will never forget, during the pandemic, him saying that any and all gatherings were absolutely unacceptable and out of the question and dangerous. But when asked point blank, if the thousands of people writing rioting and protesting on the west coast was dangerous as far as spread of the pandemic was concerned what did he say he didn't say anything he refused to answer he refused to answer why because the people rioting and protesting now like again i say you might have your personal feelings about those protests and stuff, and I'm not, I'm not attacking that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that I agree with it or disagree with it. I'm just saying that it did happen, right? I'm, I'm, it did happen, and he did refuse to answer about whether or not those could potentially be super spreader events. Why? Why would this man of science, this embodiment of science, supposedly... Refuse to answer that question. Is it because he is guided purely by scientific principles? Is it because he is guided purely by intellect? Or could it be that the people rioting and protesting shared his political ideologies? So, because of how he feels about their cause, the pandemic won't spread among those people, or if it would, there's no reason to be concerned about it. Feelings will betray and negate intellect every single time in an emotionally unhealthy or emotionally dishonest person or group of people. Emotional dishonesty Emotional unhealth are, by the way, the same thing. Now, follow up to last week, since we're all talking about science. Last week's uh, conversation was that no matter what scientists say, your feelings don't function differently. That was a little complicated. 
that conversation because on the one hand we're talking about the way feelings function right the way they function fundamentally and then number two what we're talking about is people just feel on a different thing than another person like me feel on a different thing when I look at something than you feel so I hope that that wasn't too confusing we were talking about both things it's just hard to get the language right for that the point of the thing is yes of course I'm gonna feel something different when I look at one thing than you look at but the conversation was really about how people's feelings fundamentally function because there are those out there who claim for example that some people have feelings that are less stable quote unquote than other people well, what is that a commentary on that what they're saying is that some people's feelings function in a completely unique and distinct way from the way other people's feelings function and that whole conversation last week was to discredit that it's a complete lie finally what do scientists and professionals and experts and everything get fundamentally wrong when we're having these types of discussions what they get fundamentally wrong is cause and effect they draw their conclusions in reverse let me give you an example number one a person's amygdala when we study it looks like this and they have BD BPD so the amygdala looking like this is causing this cause and effect why is that backwards because that's not the that's not the correct order what is the correct order the correct order is they are thinking like this therefore their amygdala looks like this they think like this therefore their amygdala looks like this so they get everything backwards they study the amygdala they see what it looks like and they say well that explains it that's why they're thinking like this but that's not true how do we know it's not true we know it's not true because I'm cured of borderline personality disorder and a per it, they, this would not be possible if my amygdala determined and predetermined how I'm able to think why do people with borderline personality disorder or with any emotional disorder think the way they think because they were raised with incorrect misperceptions and misconceptions about the fundamental nature of some certain things so when they go out into the world they there's the results of that are what they are they interpret what they see differently than we do they interpret let me, let me say that different they interpret the same scenario the same situation or the same experience in a different way than a healthy person would why because just the way they're observing the thing the way they're understanding it and so this is what causes the amygdala to look different or be appear different to the people studying it's not the other way around it's not that they were born with different amygdalas and now it's determining their ways of thinking no you and I were born with the same 
types of, of amygdalas uh, operate in the same way. But we were educated with very poor emotional teachers. Our thinking, our interpretation of what we're observing is different because it's coming through a, an incorrect filter. It's not that we're crazy. It's not that our brains are acting different than anybody else's brains. It's, it's not a malfunctioning brain. It's that we are interpreting things different. It's like if I think that you're out to kill me, everything you do, I'm interpreting. Your behaviors, everything you do through that understanding. Oh, you see, you see how he uh, offered me a drink. He offered me a Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. I bet he's got poison in the Coca-Cola. But how do I interpret that same experience if I don't believe that you're out to kill me? Do I still think, am I still looking at you offering me a, a Coca-Cola suspiciously? No, it changes everything. So, number one example. Number two, the emotions of people be, be, with BPD behave one way and normal people's emotions behave another way. Our, brands, our brain scans show this. So the brain is causing their emotions to behave differently. How is that an example? of the experts getting cause and effect completely backwards. Completely backwards. Their brain is only acting like that because of their preconceived notions. Their emotions are behaving the way they do based on their perspectives. Remember we talk, we went into great detail about this last last week. Every the way our feelings behave for everybody is all based on perspectives. If I am living with entirely different perspectives than you about life, then of course my feelings are going to behave differently than yours. Well, <laughs> there's that, there's that word, that's that difficulty with the wording again. I'm talking about, of course, when I observe a thing, I am going to feel something different than you feel because I'm interpreting the thing different. But my feelings aren't functioning different. They're not functioning in a distinct way than anybody else's feelings. I'm just feeling a different thing because of how I'm perceiving the thing. But my feelings are still functioning exactly in the same manner that yours do. That's why I said last week that if you shared my perceptions, your, your emotions would behave in a similar fashion. So, the emotions of people with BPD, here's what the scientists say, are behaving this way and the brain scans show it, so it must be their brains causing them. The brains are predetermining how they think. Not true. Not true. It's their education determining how they think. And so the brain scans just show what they show. They have cause and effect completely backwards. There I am. I'm going way over time here. I'm going to have to try to cut this down. Ladies and gentlemen, take care of yourselves. Be good to yourselves. Have a wonderful weekend. So have a nice weekend. Take care and I'll talk to you real soon. I love you. It's all that I can't say. Years gone by and still. Words don't come easily. Like I love you, I love you. But you could say baby. Baby, can I hold you tonight?
Maybe if I told you the right words mm, at the right time, you'd be mine.、Mm-hmm.